Good morning, St. Mark. Can you hear me all right? Well, good morning, St. Mark. Uh, if you are a guest with us today, um, you're in good company. Uh, if this is your first Sunday with us today, uh, you're not alone because it's, it's my first Sunday too. Uh, my name is Matt Popovitz, so that's very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, my name is Matt Popovitz, and after this afternoon's installation, I'll be the new pastor here at St. Mark. Uh, but this morning, I'm, I'm here to give my first ever sermon, so no pressure on me, right? Not my first ever sermon. I've done this before, but my first one here. Uh, this morning, we're wrapping up a teaching series entitled Shine, where we're talking about what it means to live as the light of Christ in this world. And I wanted to start with uh, a question, a question that may help us get to know each other just a little bit. The question is this, what is weird about you? What is weird about you? Now you might say, well, there's nothing weird about me, and that in itself would be weird because everybody's got a little bit of strange inside of them. Let's put it this way. What would the people who have to live with you say is weird about you? For example, if you were to ask my friends and family what is weird about Matt Popovitz, here are some of the things that they might say. They may tell you that I eat my pizza with a fork because I'm a gentleman. <laughs> or that when, I am, when I'm really busy or really nervous, I, I bite my fingernails, which is a horrible, disgusting habit. Or that I am mildly obsessed with the Back to the Future movies. Or, or that... I can be a very aggressive driver. Six years living in New York City will do that to you. And, and I make no apologies about it. I mean, just a heads up, you may see me on I-10, and I drive on I-10, I've only been here for like a couple days, I drive on I-10 like, like I'm the vehicle version of Jesus turning over tables in the temple. I'm like, get out of my way, I am doing the Lord's work. Here's another weird thing about me that you may not want to know. Um, I, I sleep in my gym clothes. Is, it, is that too much information? <laughs> I'm telling you this now because I'm not installed yet. So if you, if you want to take this whole thing back, you can. You've still got time, okay? I sleep in my gym clothes because I, I run every single morning, and so it's just easier to roll out of bed and hit the road. Also, if there's a zombie attack in the middle of the night, I'm ready to go, and I've told my wife, I've said, Lisa, I love you, but I will get a head start on you. <laughs> so those are some of the weird things about me. What, what is weird about you? What are some of the peculiar and particular things about how you live your life that those who live with you and walk with you can point out about you? Now, the reason I ask this question is because of our gospel text for this morning, Matthew chapter 5. Let's, let's go back and take another look. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 13. Now, if you don't know, this is part of what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' longest and most definitive teaching. Uh, this is a seminal moment in the ministry of Jesus where he lays out what life in the kingdom of God under the reign and the rule and the love and the leadership of Jesus looks like. So we pick up in verse 13. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown and trampled under people's feet. You are the light 
of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, that'd be ridiculous, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus introduces two powerful metaphors. Jesus says, you are salt and you are light. Now, Jesus says that you are salt and you are light because salt and light have certain undeniable characteristics, first and foremost. When you encounter salt and when you encounter light, you know it. For example, think back to that one time when your eight-year-old made you chocolate chip cookies out of kindness, and they mistook the salt for sugar. You took one bite and you instantly knew, and then you lied. These are so good. Or think about when your, your wife gets up earlier than you to go to work and she flips on the closet light and it shines on your eyes and you jump out of bed like, you, like you're being abducted by aliens or interrogated by the FBI. When, when you taste salt, it's undeniable, it's unmistakable. And when light breaks through the darkness, it's undeniable. It has a certain undeniable characteristic to it. You know it when you taste it and when you see it, right? But also, salt and light are of incredible value, especially in the ancient world, which was Jesus' context. I mean, think about salt. Um, um, Homer, not from The Simpsons, but the, but the great playwright and, and author from the ancient world, Homer called it the substance of the gods. Plato said that salt was divine. In the Roman world, Roman soldiers received a portion of their pay in salt because it was so valuable. That's where we get the English word for salary. It's connected to that. Did you know that? And the reason salt was so valuable is because it was so useful. It was hard to mine and it was hard to get, but it was so useful. It could cleanse things and purify things and preserve things. It was immensely value, valuable. Think also about light in the ancient world. The ancient world was a world primarily of darkness. It was a world where there was sunlight, and there was candlelight, and then there was just night. And so ancient people knew the value of a single flame, a single light, and its ability to warm your hands or light up a room and show you the way. So, so this is what Jesus is saying when he's got a group of people around him, and he says, look, you are salt, you are light. If you belong to me, if you follow me, if, you have been, if you've been touched by me, you are to live in this world as a people who have an unmistakable, undeniable character about you. But there's also tangible value and blessing that is brought by you. You are undeniably different and you bring tangible blessing. To put it another way, Jesus is saying to his followers that you, if you belong to me, you are weird. You stand out in a good way. You bring blessing. Now the question before us this morning is this. 
What is it about followers of Jesus that makes us unmistakable and undeniable? And what is the value and the blessing that we bring? Is it because followers of Jesus have all the answers to all the hard questions? Is it because we live morally superior lives? Uh, is it because we've, we've figured out that in follow G, following Jesus, we, we have unlocked the secret to, to happiness and wholeness and health and wealth 100% of the time? No. In fact, and this is like the beautiful irony, it's kind of the opposite of all those things. That's what makes us unmistakable in our character and a tangible blessing to the rest of the world. So if you go in Matthew chapter five, starting at verse 13, and you rewind a little bit, you get the important context. Let's do that. Matthew five, starting at verse three now. Prior to saying salt and light, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And blessed, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Let, let Jesus' words here resonate. Think about what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that the most blessed people on earth, those who are closest to the kingdom of heaven, the activity of God, are those who are weakest in the eyes of the world, the poor in spirit, the depressed and downhearted, those who are full of grief, those who are easily overlooked, those who are persecuted for doing the right thing, those who are, for whatever reason, feeling the weight of living in a broken creation, those who are fighting the uphill and awful battle of, of trying to fight for what's right in this world, those are the people, Jesus says, are closest to the kingdom of God. Why? Because those are the people who are ripe and ready to realize their deep and desperate need for God. Those are the people who are ready to say, Lord, I am absolutely lost without you. I've got nothing. It's all you. Jesus says that's the person who's most blessed. That's the person who's closest to the kingdom of God because they are ripe and ready to receive it because they know they've got nothing without it. Just as an illustration, it reminded me of, of earlier this week when my wife, Lisa, went on a retreat with several other pastor's wives a couple hours away. And my kids and I were together for the whole weekend just staring at each other, asking each other, where does food come from? <laughs> and all of a sudden I had this realization, blessed is the dad who parents alone for the weekend, for he shall love mom. Well, when you're at that place where you are, you are broken in spirit, where you're empty, where you are lost, 
when, when your, your body is broken down, when your bank account is empty, when you miss the person who left this world too soon, when, when you are fighting a good cause but everyone else is fighting against you, when you are lonely and no one notices you, when you need someone but no one seems to need you, when you're at that place where you say, Lord, I, I've got nothing, I've got nothing but I need you, Jesus says, aha, I've got you right where I've always wanted you. And Jesus steps in and he says, I am the enough that you can never be. I, I take the punishment in my flesh and blood for all the stupid things you've done and all the right things you've failed to do. In my rise from the grave, in my conquering of death, I show myself to be more powerful than all the stupid stuff in this world that makes you feel so powerless. And I give this promise to you, this, this unshakable, unstealable promise to you that in the very end, I will return and make right all of the things that are wrong. When you're at the end of yourself, Jesus steps in and he gives you that gift. What makes you salt and light is that you're at this place where you're able to say, Lord, I have nothing but Jesus. Jesus is absolutely everything. And that is weird in the eyes of the world to admit your weakness. And it is strange in the eyes of the world to say, I've got nothing, but I believe Jesus in my nothingness is everything. That is strange in the eyes of the world. That's like too much salt in a chocolate chip cookie. That's like a bright light on an early morning. You, you can't not notice it in the world that we live in. It sticks out, it stands out, but it's a blessing and it's a gift and it's a good thing for your kids and for your neighbors and for your coworkers to hear you say because it's the realization they need to come to as well. And when they get to that place, when they realize they have nothing, and when they say, Jesus must be everything, they are blessed. This hit me hardest uh, several years ago. I was in grad school, and I was assigned to, to serve as a, as a chaplain at uh, a nursing home in inner city St. Louis. It was the kind of place where, where the men and women who were there were, were largely forgotten by their friends and their families. Most of them were, were wards of the state. And we were walking in one day and meeting a woman that we'll call Bessie. And I was determined to bring blessing to Bessie. And I walked into her room and uh, I was immediately struck by the sound of Judge Judy blaring on the television to keep Bessie company. And I looked at the hospital bed and there was Bessie sitting there eating her lunch given to her in a brown paper bag. She was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And I noticed that she was missing uh, both legs from the knee down uh, due to an ongoing battle with diabetes. And in conversation with her, I asked her about her family and she was eating her peanut butter and jelly sandwich. She just pointed to a stack of letters on the windowsill, letters that were all from the same person in the same location. It was her nephew who lived in the state penitentiary. And I thought to myself, this, this woman has absolutely nothing. I, as the pastor in training, am gonna bring the blessing. And so I look at Bessie and I sit on her bed and I look at her and I say, Bessie, how can I, how can I pray for you? And this woman, she looked me up and down 
And she said, Pastor, the Lord is good to me. The Lord is good to me. With a mouthful of peanut butter and jelly sandwich, she referenced the sandwich and Judge Judy and the letters on the windowsill, all signs in her mind that, that she was not alone. And then she referenced up to heaven as if to make a grand gesture of the mercy and grace and forgiveness that she's received through Jesus Christ because this was a woman of faith. She looked at me and said, Pastor, the Lord is good to me. And then she grabbed my hand and she prayed for me. She prayed that I would experience the power of God, that I would know more deeply the love of God, and that I would be blessed in every single endeavor. And when she said amen, all I could think was, that's my job. <laughs> and I thought, how does this woman who has nothing, how does this woman who has nothing feel so blessed? How does she pray for me? And then it hit me, and I should have known this answer. Oh, she, she actually believes in her nothingness that Jesus is everything for her. She, she actually believes that if Jesus is all she has, she has all that she needs. And then I thought, oh my gosh, I have that same Jesus. And, 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 then, and then something starts to shift and you realize, well, if I've got that same Jesus that can give her joy, then, 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 then my pains and worries and problems, then my, my moral struggles, my big concerns, they aren't things for me to necessarily conquer through my own willpower or hide from others lest they think less of me. First and foremost, these are reasons for me to give praise to Jesus because he loves me in spite of these things. He promises to forgive me of these things. He promises that he's gonna conquer all these things for me. He offers all those things to me. Bessie was salt and light to me. And it was so weird. <laughs> Judge Judy, peanut butter and jelly. But, but it was a blessing and a gift to me. Are, are you following with what I'm trying to say here? So, so, so here's, here's the practical application for you. Here's how the rubber meets the road kind of Monday morning for you if you're here as a follower of Jesus. Here's the big takeaway for you if you really kind of hold tight to this salt and light idea. Here's what I think it means, okay? I think it means that if you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ, that your greatest witness in the world, and you are called to be a witness in the world, your greatest witness in the world may just be your weakness, Your greatest witness to the world may just be your weakness. One of the greatest messages you can send to your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your coworkers, is to let them see your real struggle, your real pains, your real problems, the stack of letters on your windowsill, the weakness and burden in your body, the loneliness in your life, but let them also see you wrestle with, struggle with, try to articulate your faith and your hope in Jesus in the midst of those pains and those problems. Stop hiding those things so much. Stop pretending to be someone else on social media. Stop painting a perfect picture. Bring the walls down, let other people in, and though you will do it imperfectly and awkwardly, as you let them into your pains, reveal a bit of your hope. 
And I know that is difficult. But here's what I also know about many of us. Many of us live kind of perfectly curated lives. We let even the closest people to us only see what we want to of us. There are people who are close to us, but they don't know any of our problems or any of our hope. That is not who you are called to be. You are salt, you are light. Be the weird one who says, oh, I've got problems. <laughs> I've got problems. I am nothing, but I have hope. In something greater than me, bigger than me, beyond me, a God who is still good to me through Jesus, let someone near you see that. That will be weird, but that is what the world needs. Now, likewise, if you are here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, or you are wrestling with the veracity of Christianity, I still think that this conversation has application for you, at least kind of in an intellectual one as you try to apply these truths in your own life. You see, one of the things that this teaching tells you, if you're here as an unbeliever, is that there is a profound distinction between the Christian worldview and every other worldview in that the Christian worldview brings purpose to profound pain. So for example, in a purely atheistic worldview, pain and struggle is pointless. It is simply a, an, an aspect of a chaotic, random, and meaningless world. You might try to find purpose in your pain, but if you have an atheistic view of the world, there isn't any. Uh, likewise, say uh, in Eastern mysticism, uh, pain is proof that you are too connected to creation. You care too much. You need to disconnect and care less, and you'll feel less pain, but something about that doesn't feel right. Or in a moralistic worldview, pain is often perceived as punishment. You, you experience something painful because you've done something wrong, but then, but then here comes the Christian worldview, which does two things that none of those other worldviews do. One, it affirms your pain as something that just is. There are broken-hearted, mourning, grief-filled, illness-stricken, heart-sick people in this world, and it's not about you being a good person or a bad person. This world is just broken, and Christianity says, let's confess that and grieve that and admit that. But then the second thing it does is that it adds purpose to that pain and says, God uses your pain to show you and me, we, who we really are. We are mortal, and we are finite, and we are struggling, and he uses it to prepare the way for his promises and his love and his answers. This idea of salt and light, of being people who are undeniable in that we say, we've got nothing to offer in terms of saving ourselves, but we believe that Jesus is everything, that this, this salt and light attitude is one of the most powerful forces in the world. It really is. Now, case in point, uh, Eusebius is, is a really famous old dead guy from the third century. Eusebius was a, a historian in ancient Rome and he writes that it was, the, it was the beautiful weirdness of the Christian people that helped plant the seeds for the conversion and conquering of the Roman Empire. In the third century, there was a horrific plague that spread across the known world, and it hit Rome really, really hard. And almost everybody, the pagans and the doctors, they left Rome to escape it. But Eusebius writes that, that the Christians stuck around and that it baffled everybody. 
And the Christians who contracted the plague, and many did and died, as they were dying, they were expressing their hope that though they died, they were going to go rest with Christ and be raised with him in the end. And their grief and their sadness about their own death was like seasoned with a little bit of hope and joy, which just stunned the Romans who watched it. Like, how, how can you even have that attitude in the face of death and destruction? And that the Christians who didn't get sick were so confident that, that even if they did get sick, they had this, this eternity with Jesus, they felt this freedom to help the sick and the dying. And they constructed little hospitals and care centers, and it was so overwhelming to the pagans that the Christians would be so selfless and caring because they had this otherworldly, strange hope that Eusebius writes, quote, the work of the Christians was on the community's lips. Everyone was talking about it. It gave cause to praise the God of the Christians, and it planted the seeds of the conversion of the largest and most influential city that the world had ever known. It's the most powerful force in the world. So let me ask you again in closing, what is weird about you? What is different about you that your friends and family notice and know about you? Could it be that when you're driving and you're looking for an address, say at nighttime, you turn down the radio as you look? As if lower volume will help you see better? Or, or maybe you're weird like this, when you, go to pr- when you go to spell the word Wednesday, you pronounce it out loud, Wednesday, so you know how to spell it correctly. Or maybe you're one of those really weird people who talk to your pets as if it's a person. That's weird. <laughs> what is weird about you? May it also be said, among all the other weird things, that though your cancer comes back, though your kid does not call, though your health fails, though your bank account is not full, though the world is a mess, you profess this hope in something greater. You have a peace that comes from something higher. You believe that God is still good. And when you do that, the world will think it's weird. But trust me, when you do that, it will be what the world around you needs to hear. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that for those of us who are here as baptized followers of Jesus, you have called us to be weird in a good way that you give us the freedom to admit that we have nothing, but that you, in Jesus Christ, give us everything. Father, make us a people who let the guard down and let who we are really show to the world, even if it makes us stand out like too much salt in a chocolate chip cookie, even if it makes us stand out, may it give us an opportunity to point in some small, imperfect way to you. May this be especially true in the lives of those who matter most to us. May we be a bright witness to our kids and our grandkids and to our spouse and our coworkers, Lord. If you enable us to be salt and light, weird in a good way to anybody, help it to be to them. In Jesus' name, amen.